great to have all of you uh, here today as well. It's really a long sermon today, so let's stand and stretch, all right? And then we've got some guests. I couldn't resist the guests over here. You guys got some? Who's in town today? Awesome. Where's your family from? Kansas Kansas City. Imagine that. All right. Go Chiefs. There we go. I should not. That's bad. That's I'm a kind of a closet Chiefs fan. Most of our congregation doesn't know that. So anyway, yeah, today we're going to talk about love that conquers. And uh, this was the text. And thank you to Ryan for reading. Did a great job with that. I love it when everyone else reads the scripture. It's kind of fun to have them come up and do that. But this was a great scripture. And this is part of what Ryan read. I'm going to, I'm going to preach on these couple verses uh, and a little bit here and there. But this is the text, love that conquers. And the verse I wanted to look to, I want us to read this together. I think this is so critical. And this is kind of one of the, the main focus uh, focuses Uh, of the sermon today, and it's this uh, statement here, uh, verse 37. So then, as a congregation, uh, let's read this together in Jesus' name. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Heavenly Father, this is your word for us today, and I pray now that you would use it powerfully. Thank you already for working it in my heart, and I pray now that you would work it in the hearts of those that would hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Congregation can be seated. All right. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. This week, I was preparing, and of course, some of this is reflective, of course, of Valentine's Day, and I trust that that most of you enjoyed a Valentine's Day, and I got to tell you, uh, my Valentine's story uh, goes something like this. Uh, How, Gloria, how many years have we been married? 34? 35 years. Okay, so 35 years. So on Monday, and again, I'm getting smarter as I go on here. Usually, yeah, back in the olden day, you know, like Valentine's Day, you go to Quickstar and buy a $2 bouquet of flowers on the day of, right? Nobody does that, do you? I hope not. Anyway, so then I talked on Monday of that week. A new Valentine's Day was coming. So I said, Gloria, I said, you know, I said, Valentine's Day is on Wednesday. And she's got a smile. Yeah, yeah. And then I I said, you know, honey, we've been married 35 years. All right, we've had a lot of Valentines together. There's no, absolutely no need for you to buy me anything for Valentine's Day because you are the greatest Valentine gift I could ever hope for. And she goes, hmm? You know, this is one of those questions you're thinking that maybe she would reciprocate, right? (laughs) You know? There was no reciprocating here, all right? So needless to say, that afternoon, I went out and I bought some nice flowers. I got some nice flowers ready. Did I do good, honey? I did pretty good, yeah. So I was waiting for her to say, oh, honey, you're my best Valentine's present too. There's no need to get me anything. No, those words did not come out of her mouth. Anyway, to that end, today we're talking about love. And we're talking about something, God's love for us. Not just one day of the year, not just one week of the year, but literally every day of every life, there is a love that God has for you and for me. And what I want to build upon today, I'm going to answer two questions. What does love that conquers, that's one of the phrases in that text, what does love that conquers look like and what does it do? All right, what does it look like and what does it do? We're going to begin at the beginning, right? Love, as we see in Scripture, comes from God. We've got to start there. It comes from God. Now, what I think is really intriguing as you look at this text, and actually, if you do any uh, reading uh, anywhere of other biblical texts or this concept of love, and believe me, uh, the concept of love of the Scripture, you could fill up volume after volume of this. But I found it intriguing that we 
where in scripture there are several words that refer to love, but when it refers to God's love, there is a word, you've heard of this, it's called agape love. And what I found intriguing was that when you look at the historical record of writings beyond the Holy Scriptures, do you know how often that word agape appears? Zero. That word agape, that concept of that special, unique kind of love, does not appear in ancient, uh, in ancient writings beyond the Scripture. And I, I wanted to start there today because this idea of that it comes from God. Scripture speaks of this love to us, but it comes from God. And I think that we need, we need to start there to recognize that this love is sourced from him. And this uh, way the language is, it literally says it's a one-of-a-kind love. This love that's used in the Bible, it says it's a unique word. It's literally depicting a one-of-a-kind, unique love. It comes from God. Now, I think also we can make the case that as it comes from God, it rightly expresses God's character. And those are the texts that Ryan had read earlier from the book of 1 John. And if you want to keep your thumb there handy, I'll go ahead and read a little bit of that. There's two points that I wanted to make as we think about this love coming from God as an expression of character. First, uh, first is this. Notice what it says in 1 John 4, 8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God. And then what's the next phrase? For God is what? For God is love. So let's just stop there for a little bit. So when we think of all the things that God is, when we think of all the words that describe God, all the ways that we can describe him and his character, ultimately and finally, it's got to come down to this. God is love. That is the essence of his character. That is the essence of his being. So it expresses that character. It expresses who he is. Now, what's unique about this love and why it differs so much from the things that we call love is this, is that this is a love, as is depicted in Scripture, this is a love that is, number one, sacrificial. This is a love that is sacrificial, and secondly, it's a love of choosing. It's a love of choice. That's what makes this love so unique in Scripture. Now, when we talk about this thing of God's love, we're talking about a love that is a love of choice, and it's a love of self-sacrifice, and it expresses God's character perfectly. God is a God that chooses us. God is a God that offers himself for us. And we need to see and recognize that. And then notice what else the text says as we go down from God is love. It also says in the text in, in verse 9 of 1 John 4, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us that God, and I love this phrase, has sent his only begotten Son. I'm going to just focus on that word sent. Do you know what that word sent implies? That God's love is intentional. That God's love is not something that just happened by accident. But rather, God had a plan and God had a purpose. And this love that he had for you and for me, this was a love that was planned. It was a love that was determined. And we see that in that phrase, sent. That there was a purpose and there was a plan. There was an intentional, an intentional expression of this love. And then also when you think about the fact that it comes from God and how it expresses his character, the fact that, uh, that there's, a, there's a purpose in that, uh, that there's a, there's a plan in that, I want you to also think about the text of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. And, and a lot of you probably know that. Jeremiah 31, 3 starts off with this phrase, I have loved with an everlasting love. 
I have loved with an everlasting love. And I love Jeremiah 31.3. It's one of the great encouraging verses in Scripture. But what's that tell us about this love that God has? I have loved with what? An everlasting love. It is a love that never ceases. This is literally, this is the forever love. This is a love that never ceases, it never ends, and it extends past, present, and future. That, that's what God's word tells us. That's the love that he would have for you and for me. It is a love that is e- eternal. It is a love that goes on forever. And it is a love, dear friends, that yes, it is for the world, for God so loved the world. But you are part of that world. And, and I think, I think we, we don't think about that enough. I think we don't think. <laughs> we don't think about that enough. That this love, as it's described in the Bible, is something that is uniquely personal. Yes, it's for the whole world. But it is uniquely personal. And, and I, for me, it's really sobering. Not just to look at Christ on the cross, dying for the sins of the all, but dying for the sins of me. And that's what Scripture tells us today. That Jesus, the work on the cross, yes, it was totally sufficient for the world, but that work was intended for me. And I want us to to consider that today as we think of how God expresses this love, how, how it comes from him, how he is the source of that love. To recognize that that love, it, it's for you. And it is intentional. It is a love of choice. It's a love of self-sacrifice. And it is a love that has a purpose because it is a love, first and foremost, that comes from God. This love not only comes from God, this love is also expressed in Christ. And when I say that, I'm going I'm to preface a little bit. I appreciated the verse uh, that Mike had read for our call to worship in 1 Corinthians 5.21, uh, talking about how the, the perfect Christ took our sins, died in our place. And I think that we, sometimes we just kind of skip over some of these deeply profound theological thoughts. But I want you to think about this, is that how, how could our sins be paid for? Because we're sinful, right? We, we could not pay for our sins. However, Scripture tells us that there was one who is worthy, who was worthy, who was sinless and who was perfect, and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus was worthy. He, he could come and he could carry the sin for all of us because he was perfect. Had he not been perfect, had he not been sinless, the sacrifice that he offered would have been rejected by a holy God. But the holy God received his sacrifice because Jesus himself is holy and he is perfect. So when we think of the sacrifice, think of the sacrifice as being done on your behalf by someone who didn't need to do that. Jesus didn't die on the cross for his sins. He he didn't have to go there for his sins. But he went there for yours. And there is a wonderful encouragement when we begin to think about that and to realize how Christ expressed this love because of his perfection. Because he is worthy. His sacrifice on the cross was, was considered valid and efficient for all people all places and all times and and my prayer today is that that would that would encourage us and then I, I think also as we think about this expressed in Christ Romans 5 8 says this 
What then shall we say or rather? But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just think about that a little bit. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, first of all, notice this love is demonstrated, of course, and and Christ died for us. And in fact, this last week, I was over at uh, Stony Brook preaching at the nursing home, and I I referenced this verse. And I think it's such, I love this verse because what it tells us is that we all have a tendency, we could, we could all talk about love and all this, books and volumes have been written about love, but love really comes down to something more than just something talked about, doesn't it? Love is an action. Love is something that we would do. And I want you to record this, that, that Jesus, or that God rather, just didn't talk about love. The whole scripture just doesn't talk about love. It's not a theology so much of love and a theory of love, but it is a practical demonstration of what it is to truly love. God demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated his love for us when he died on the cross. And I want us to see and I want us to recognize how important that is, that this was a love that was worked out in history. This was a love that expressed itself through Christ in a real historical event. And Jesus and God himself proved his love for you and for me by dying on that cross and paying a price that we could not pay. And I want us to think about this too, this idea, this phrase that God gave. And when you read through the, the crucifixion narratives, you'll read about a, a couple of things of, of people that gave Jesus up, that they, they gave him up. You know, Judas gave Jesus up for what? For, for money, for probably out of, out of greed. Judas gave Jesus up for money. Pilate, you know, what did he do? He gave Jesus up out of fear. He, he, was, he was afraid of, of the people, and he was afraid of what they thought of him. And then, of course, the Jews as a whole, they gave Jesus up too, out of envy. They, 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 didn't, they didn't like the things that Jesus was teaching. They didn't want to think about Jesus in the manner that he explained to them that he was. So there was a sense of envy and a sense of bitterness even towards the work of Jesus. So they too, they, they gave him up. But I want you to observe all the way through Scripture that it was God who gave him up. And God gave him up, not out of fear, not out of envy, and not for reward, but God gave him up out of love for you and a love for me. And this love is expressed in Christ. And one of my favorite aspects as I think about Christ and I think about this love is the fact that this love is a love that pursues us. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says this, I have come to seek and to save the saved. (laughs) I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, you see, pursues those who are wayward. And, and I love, I'll finish up Jeremiah 31.3. And again, this is one of those passages of Scripture that's so powerful. The last part of verse 31.3 says, first of all, I have loved with an everlasting love. We talked about that. But it says, there, therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have loved with an everlasting love. Therefore, because of this everlasting love, I have drawn you with loving kindness. You see, again, and we see in Scripture this idea of the pursuit of God's love for each of us. 
And, and my prayer today is that we would, we would come to recognize that. I think that our world, we've kind of messed up the definition of love and all these things. God's love is so unique. It's, it's literally out of this world. And, and we need to recognize that this is the love that pursues us. The love that overwhelming conquers, first of all, comes from God. Secondly, it is expressed in Christ. And this overwhelmingly uh, conquering love, number three, delivers remarkable results. Delivers remarkable results. And, and we can go through this text. There's a couple of places that I want to I speak to today. Uh, first of all is this. Number one, when we think about the overwhelming results, we have to think of this, that we have to think of the overwhelming connection that we have with that love. The verses that Ryan read twice, verse 35 and verse 39, there is a phrase that is used. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 39, Paul is convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And I want you to recognize that as we read through verse uh, 35 in particular, notice there's seven items that Paul lists. He talks about tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword. And I think it's intriguing that Paul lists all those things because you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul goes through almost that same list. These are all circumstances that Paul faced in his life. These are worldly events, tragic events, we would say, but they all occur in one's life or all can occur in one's life. And what this verse does, a couple things. First of all, it proves to us that as a Christian, we are not exempt from hardship. We are not exempt from hardship. Now, the tragedy and hardship, though, is this, that some of you are going through these things right now. Some of you are going through distress, trial, tribulation, hardship, all of these things. And sadly, one of the thoughts that Satan puts in our mind, when these bad things begin to happen to us, Satan puts in this thought. Well, if God really loved me, would he let this happen to me? If God really loved me, would he let me ha- this happen to me? I think that's why Paul wrote this. Because Paul knew that you were going to go through these things. You're, you're going to see some stuff. Some stuff is going to happen to you. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be trial. You're going to feel some days like you're a sheep being led to slaughter. That's what Paul talks about here. But he says, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And I love that. That's such a comfort. It's a balm, if you would, to my soul to recognize that in all of these things, all of these tragedies, all of these events, none of these things will remove us from the love of Christ nor the love from God. And then it's almost like Paul starts there, but, but he can't, he's not quite done yet. You know, he says, he, he must have known most of us were Norwegians. We need to be told this a couple different times. See, right? So what's he do? He goes down then in verse 38 and verse 39. And he begins then to list 10 supernatural things. And, and again, in the end, what's he say? None of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. Well, let's take just a little bit of time. We got just a bit here. Let's take a look here. Let's look at some of the things that he talks about here. He says, neither death nor life, verse 38, neither death nor life. So we know that death is the great separator, but life also separates as we face hardship, as we face trial. Sometimes there's friction in families, but, but Paul is saying that neither death nor anything that happens in life can separate you. We're, we're going to be connected to, to the love of Christ. Notice it says, neither death nor life, angels nor principalities. Uh, there's some controversy upon the word principalities. Most 
Uh, most theologians would understand that to be angels and demons or the spiritual realm, if you would, good and evil. Nothing in the spiritual realm can remove you uh, from the love of God. Uh, things present or things to come, uh, those things that are present now and those things to come in the future, again, uh, those things will not be able to separate you from the love of God, the love of Christ. None of those things have power over you. And then notice he goes on and he says, nor powers. <laughs> that one kind of stands alone. Most of us, as we read that, Paul is kind of going back, I think, to that angels and principalities. Just in case something was missed there, he says, nor any power. The word power is a word that usually refers to miracles in the New Testament. But in this context, Paul is most likely talking about the spiritual forces that are around us good or evil. He says, none of those things can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And, then, and I love, nor height, nor depth. <laughs> and, and go to Psalm 139, begin in verse 7, and, and read that text. I won't take time today to do that. But that text speaks to how David said, no matter if he ascended into heaven or went into the deepest depths of Sheol, that he, that he could never escape the presence of God. So there's, there's no spatial place that, that you can go to hide from the love of God, that God's, God's love is so overwhelming that, that, it, that is literally, that it's everywhere. And then notice as it goes on there, height nor depth, and then again, Paul kind of catches everything. Just in case anyone thinks he's got a situation that's missed, Paul says in verse 39, nor any other created thing. That's kind of that catch-all. <laughs> nor other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. So number one, we have here remarkable results. We have an overwhelming connection. Number two, under this third point, we have an overwhelming ability to conquer. Notice in verse 37, but in all these things, we, what? Overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I would encourage you, take a pencil or a marker, circle those two words, overwhelmingly conquer. And I say this for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is a totally unique reference in the scripture. This word, overwhelmingly conquer, does not appear anywhere else in scripture except right here. And it literally means to be a super conqueror. It means that there is nothing that will prevail over you. It implies a complete and utter defeat against any force that rises up against you. We overwhelmingly conquer in and through God's love for us expressed through Jesus Christ. That's what that verse means. And what's so unique to me is that this verse, this word overwhelmingly conquer, is a word that is present in its tense. It's in the present tense. And what that means is this. It means that we just don't overwhelmingly conquer in the future, but even now we overwhelmingly conquer in the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. That's what that word means. That we overwhelmingly conquer. And what that means is that, yes, affliction may, may come to us. There may be hardship. There may be trial. But guess what? In the present tense, you overwhelmingly conquer right now. As we live in that love, as we have that love expressed in our lives, we live as overwhelmingly conquering that which comes against us. And that means then that we should have no fear of judgment. We should have no fear of condemnation. We should have no fear of man. We should have no fear of trial. No fear of tribulation. Because of all of these things, we are 
overwhelmingly conquering in the love of God through Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That is incredible. So we have this overwhelming connection. We have an overwhelming uh, conquering ability there, but also we can be overwhelmingly convinced. And notice what Paul uh, does here in the text. He goes on there uh, in verse 38. He says, for I am convinced. And again, this word is a word that means an absolute certainty. And what Paul does is he kind of closes out this section. He says, because of this great love of God, as it's expressed in Christ Jesus, because of these remarkable results, I am absolutely convinced of its truth. And I have absolutely experienced this in my own life. And you know something, dear friends? We, we need that, don't we? People are going to let us down. I'm sorry to say this. If you're, if you're here depending upon another human being, at some point you're going to be disappointed. But I want you to see today that God's love doesn't disappoint. That God's love as it's expressed in Christ Jesus is a love that enables us to overwhelmingly conquer. It's a love that enables us to be overwhelmingly connected and it overwhelmingly convinces us of our uniqueness and specialness in the eyes of God. I don't know how many Duck Dynasty guys and gals we have. I know that in its heyday, it was a super popular show, and I, I enjoyed uh, watching it. And I always wanted to be able to grow a beard like that, but uh, somebody at home saw fit that I don't grow a beard. I won't mention any names. I was told that I would never get kissed again. So that's why I'm clean-shaven today. Missy Robertson is pictured here, and uh, she had on her heart... Uh, uh, open up a jewelry company and she named it Laminin. And for those of you that are amongst us, you may think Laminin. Ah, remember Louis Giglio, Pastor Louis Giglio? And he did a sermon on this powerful, powerful sermon. But Laminin uh, are protein molecules in our body and they literally, literally hold everything together. That's what Laminin does. And ironically, and there's some debate and discussion about this, but for, for our purposes today, the, the laminin molecule, if you see it drawn in a textbook, it comes in the form of a cross. And it's super significant. And they, they talked about that. But anyway, so Missy Robertson wanted to do this jewelry company, and she talked uh, to her, her mother-in-law, uh, Miss Kay, of course, and they discovered that there were a large group of ladies uh, in West Monroe, Louisiana, where they live at, that had really, really had troubled families and, and troubled childhoods. Drug use is rampant. The sex trade is rampant. Prostitution is rampant. And, and Missy said she wanted to reach out to those ladies. She says, there is no little girl in this county that grows up and says, I, I want to be a drug addict. I, I want to be able to prostitute my body in order to make money so I can fix my, so I can deal with my habit. Not a girl says that, but so many of them succumb to that. And she said, I want to work with those gals. And she said, 99% of the women that are working now at Laminin are either prostitutes or ex-prostitutes, ex-sex slaves, and or drug addicts. 99%. And she said, what these women needed to know is this, is that God's love for them is irreversible. 
that despite their past, God's love prevailed. And she talked about how Laminin is a place where they can come and be convinced about the irresistible and irreversible love of Christ. And I love that, and I think how important that that is, that we would all recognize the irreversible love of Christ and its impact in our lives. Convinced of God's love, we overwhelmingly conquer. Lord, use this word today, and thanks for applying it in my own heart. And I ask now, God, that you would use this word powerfully in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.